0: good to have you along here three and out on this tuesday kevin bj and ben so much to get to uh here on the show we'll talk some college football uh, on the show high school football the uh, playoffs beginning this week john nelson uh, with GPB sports will join us as well but right off the bat our first guest uh, really needs no introduction he left the university of georgia uh as the winningest quarterback in college football and of course with Tennessee-Georgia this week, famous for that hobnailed boot play uh, to beat the Vols back in 2001. David Green joins us here on 3 and Out. David, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: And doing good, guys. How about yourself?
0: And doing fantastic. 20 years ago, you crushed Tennessee's face uh, with a hobnailed boot. Take us back to that game and uh, certainly the last drive, which uh, kind of lives on in the annals of Georgia history at this point.
2: L.A. is hard to believe. It makes make me feel old now. It's 20 years ago. Um, yeah, no, I tell you, that was that was a day. I don't remember. We were ranked maybe 13, and they were number four. It was a game uh, that we weren't supposed to win. Um, uh, we came out. We played well early on, and we really had the lead in that game pretty much the whole time. Uh, we had a chance to put it away offensively. We had a three and out with about two minutes to go in the game. We had to punt. They get the ball. They finally hit the big pu- the big play they were waiting for. They hit a screen pass, and fellas, I tell you, it's the only time in my career that I actually felt the ground shake because the stadium was so loud. Needland Stadium's a loud place, especially back in the '90s, early 2000s when when their teams were so good. Um, and then they did it, you know. So they score. We're uh, they're up, and um, yeah, you know, they do a squip kick, and we get the ball on like the 40 yard line with probably a little less than a minute to go. We hit a couple of little easy passes. You know, they're playing prevent-type defense. Yeah, I hit Damian Gary, who was like a little slot receiver. We lined him up at tailback and and just had him a little hook over the ball, right, like I'm going deep, and, and then just check it down. He makes a couple guys miss, gets about 10 or 12. Uh, we hit Randy McMichael down the middle of the field two or three times, so we're down on like the 10-yard line. We burn a timeout, and – yeah, you know, the great thing about you know when you have a new coach, you don't have a whole lot of tendencies, and we knew that uh, the Tennessee they like to play quarters coverage when they got down in the red zone, and the play that we call past forty-four Haynes, the hobnail boot play that all the Georgia fans know by, uh, this play it's a quarters killer. I mean, it, it's um, it's pretty much impossible to defend if you're going to line up in quarters. And sure enough, the coach told me he said, "Look, Green," he said. If They get quarters coverage; it'll be wide open. If you get a one safety look, just throw it out of the end zone, and we'll you know we'll, we got another play. And I of course, like anybody that plays golf, that's lining up over a two foot putt that you know you better not miss. That's kind of that feeling I had in that moment, and sure enough, we hit it, and it was uh, it was a huge play for the for the program.
3: David, what were the what were the emotions, the anxiety, the nerves like before that drive? You're a red shirt freshman. Tennessee has you know a spectacular highlight reel touchdown, and and here it comes. The game comes down to you and the offense. What were you feeling before that drive?
2: Well, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. It's a lot more nerve wracking uh, being in the stands. I mean, I, I get more nervous watching Georgia play now than I ever did when I was playing, and I, I think. You know, and Ben can probably relate to this as well. There's something about when you're the one that's competing and you're focused and you're concentrating and you're sweating and you're invested in it, a lot of times you're just out there competing and you're not experiencing the nerves like everyone else is on the outside watching. Honestly, when when we had punted, I was over there still warming up. I I was not checked out of the game. I kind of had a feeling that, that, um, that I was going to have to go back in and, and make a play. So mentally I didn't allow myself to check out. And so when they hit the squib kick to us, I mean, we were ready to rock and roll. Now I will say after the game, uh, man, on the way home we were exhausted because it was obviously an emotional roller coaster throughout that game. Uh, but it's one of those times where you don't really realize what happened until it's all said done and you're in a locker room going, holy crap, what just took place there.
4: And David, I mean, I was, I was. That's what I was going to ask. When you think about the fact that you know you got the you got the coverage that you want as a quarterback, how much does that dictate everything you do? I mean, you you come out the huddle and you like, okay, they in quarters coverage, Then it's, Okay, let me make sure I go through my raise my reads. Then let me make sure I don't stare down my number one receiver. But I'm happen to be doing this with a hundred thousand people, and I can't even hear the snap.
2: Well, that's where you know good coaching comes into play. There, here I was a registered freshman. It was my first away start ever, guys. I mean, it's, and I mean it was the the easiest play call if you're going to have like a, a first year player, because really it was either throw it to the fullback who's going to be wide open down middle of the field, or just throw it out of the end zone, and we'll figure out another play. And you know, anybody that watches football realizes when you get down within you know the red zone it's not exactly easy to throw and score, especially when people are expecting you to throw the ball. Uh, the windows are, are not near as big. So, I mean, Coach Rick really dialed up um, about as easy as a touchdown as you possibly can to have a have a redshirt fresh.
0: David Green uh, joining us here on 3 and Out in Georgia and Tennessee uh, this week. Uh, David, you mentioned being nervous watching Georgia. I haven't had a whole lot of games where you had to feel nervous watching this team. Uh, talk about the confidence uh, they're playing final SEC game of the year, going to Tennessee. That you're seeing out of this team?
2: Yeah, well, the, this Georgia team's got—you um, can tell from the beginning of the year. You know, going up against Clemson, they thought they were going to be good, and they were hoping they would be good. And I think once we got past that win and and won the next few ball games, I mean, Georgia's confidence is just kind of going through the roof. Obviously, I think from a defensive standpoint, those guys have. I mean, I would go as far as saying they've developed a brand. I mean, they've realized that they are an elite group and there's expectations. When you step on the field, you're going to be part of the defense. There's going to be a way you're going to play. And so that's been fun to watch. It's been fun to watch that these kids are are playing as hard and as passionate as they are. And then offensively, uh, you know, Stetson, it's been a weird year, in the fact, that we've kind of always had that two-quarterback conversation. Uh, But I tell you, Stetson has done a phenomenal job. He wasn't a Going into the year, you know, this has been really JT's job the whole time. And, uh, you know, due to injuries, and every time Stetson's gotten a chance to go in, he's just taken full advantage of it. And the guys believe in him, and clearly uh, Kirby Smart believes in, in him as well, or, you know, he wouldn't be playing right now. I think if coach, a couple weeks back, I think coach had to make a decision. He had to ask himself, go, hey, can I win a national championship with this guy? And if the answer is no, I got to go back to JT because he's healthy now. But if but if he is, I mean, if he's going to give us the best opportunity, he needs to be my guy moving forward. And um, and sure enough, Stetson's yeah, he's still the guy in there, and he's making plays and um, and he's doing just enough. It obviously helps when you got a defense that's not giving up 10 points a game. Uh, that that definitely helps things out. <laughs>
3: Well, and Stetson David in the top five in the country in passer rating. When you watch him play, what what stands out to you?
2: Well, you, you think about it. When you got a defense like Georgia's, that's really what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy that uh, has. You talk about the passer rating, top five. I mean, that's what you're looking for. A guy that's going to be efficient. That's going to move the football, make the big plays when uh, when you need to make them. Uh, he's. Very underrated from an athletic standpoint. This guy can move around and can make plays with his legs, and uh, and he definitely has a uh, a little bit of a swagger to him, a little bit too. He carries himself with plenty of confidence, and uh, and you can tell. And uh, the guys love it. He came as a walk on. Kirby brought him back as a scholarship guy. Um, Curry obviously sees something that, that he really likes. But when you got a defense like that. Make the big plays when they present itself. Don't hurt your don't hurt the team by making costly turnovers. And and for the most part, Stetson's done a great job of that. And and when plays that present themselves, he he's made some big plays as well.
4: And David, obviously, when you was at Georgia, you had to like share some time with DJ Shockley. Both of you guys kind of played. You talk about the fact that when Stetson was called on. Every time they asked him you know, to play, he stepped up. How do, how do you guys handle that? Because obviously you want to be the guy, but you also don't want to be a distraction to the team. How much credit do you give uh, JT and Stetson not, not making it in a bigger situation than it possibly could have become?
2: Well, I mean, that's a great point, Ben. I mean, it's look, it's not the easiest thing to go through. I mean, Shock and I, even to this day, are great buddies. I mean, I think the world of Shock and what he – uh, you know, did at Georgia. We, what we had to both do is we had to put the team first. I saw you know, value in Shock, and I think Shock saw value in what I could bring to the team as well. And um, Do we want to be the guy? Absolutely. I mean, of course we do. Uh, you want to be the guy that's getting all the reps. And the same with Stetson and JT. I think at the end of the day, these guys are wanting Georgia to win a championship, and they're putting their own personal agendas uh, on the back burner. Is that the easiest thing to do? Not always. But if you're going to be part of a of a true team, and um, and those guys have done that, you, you don't, it doesn't appear, at least from the outside looking in, that there's a whole lot of animosity going around that locker room. It seems like it's one unit that's playing with a lot of confidence that's just rolling forward.
0: Davey Green joining us here on 3 and Out. And as you said, when you, you take on that role, knowing the defense, as you said, has not given up 10 points a game, I mean – how much confidence do you walk out there on the field knowing? Look, if we make a few plays, the other team will not be able to score. I mean, they just will not be able to score enough to beat us.
2: Yeah, I mean, in this day and time, I mean, what they people call a game manager is considered like a cuss word, or like almost like a guy that cannot play. Um, but right now, the way that our defense has played, and look, if it if we were going up against Alabama's offense of last year or LSU's offense of two years ago, I would say, look, we, if we play those guys, we're not going to, to score 45 points a game to even have a chance because those guys are going to score regardless. This season, I haven't really seen an offense that has even played remotely to the caliber Alabama did last year, LSU two years ago. And so you should be able to, I think, if we go up and, and what we've seen so far this season, I mean, on offensively, we just don't turn the ball over. We continue to to you know use that running game to our advantage. And Stetson throws the ball 20 times; and completes 15 of them, and doesn't throw interceptions. That's normally a good formula for us winning ball games. And so you got to be able to throw enough to keep people honest. Uh, But obviously, as of right now, um, you know, if we could run the ball, keep the the clock churning play good defense, not turn a ball over and, and, you know, win special teams. That's, that's normally the formula Georgia's trying to do to, to win, win these games.
3: Finally, just about every week is a rivalry game for Georgia. But when you look back on Georgia, Tennessee, obviously the great moments we've talked about, but what does this rivalry mean to you?
2: Well, look, Tennessee, obviously Tennessee has hit a rough patch uh, after I have been gone. Um, this is a game where there's always going to be tremendous athletes over at Tennessee. The history runs deep, and you can see they made a great hire with his Josh Heupel. Uh, Heupel has got this program going in the right direction. Anybody that's watched this Tennessee team, I mean, not only is there, yeah, you know, can you tell that they're playing better? They're winning close games against some good opponents. The team's got a lot of confidence. Uh, I think for the first time in a while, you can really say that Tennessee is uh, is is making its way back into the SEC East. I always consider Tennessee is going to be a big rivalry. I mean, it's a it's a great school with a lot of tradition. Uh, they've always had a lot of good players that have come out of there. It's just a matter of time before they could put the the right pieces to the puzzle back together, and it it, it looks like you know they're back on back on the right path again.
0: David Green. Georgia legendary quarterback, our guest here on 3 and Out. David, appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
2: All right, guys. Appreciate it, man.
0: Appreciate it. Georgia and Tennessee coming up this weekend. Final SEC game of the regular season for Georgia there in Knoxville this weekend. So much more to come here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben the so-called second season begins this Friday night in the state of Georgia the high school state playoffs begin our next guest intimately in, involved in all of the eight brackets uh, out there knows every team every player every coach by heart doesn't even need research john nelson gpb sports joins us here on 3 now john welcome how are you
5: Second season, sir, I believe this is what we refer to as season number three. It is non-region, it is region, it is playoffs. We are in season one, two, three. We have passed season two. That was last Friday and Saturday, sir. We are full-blown into season uno, dos, dos. Trace, season well, three. thank you. And, and, and by the way, by the way, happy twenty fourth anniversary of the Montreal Screwjobs. I figured. I'd okay, there up. you go. A
0: little wrestling knowledge, and you got me back on uh, in 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 correction there. Uh, but we start the playoffs here. Obviously, five weeks or four weeks to try to get to uh, to Georgia State there and play for a, a state championship. Obviously, South Georgia, a lot of storylines. Uh, John, will ask you about some specifically. Let's start there with uh, with Pierce County defending three A-State champs, they open with uh, with Windsor Forest. Is this a team uh, with legitimate eyes on a, uh, a repeat?
5: I think so. And, you know, as we all know, since we're, we're on our wrestling start here, we all know one of the best orators of this or any other era, and one of his key phrases, to be the man, <laughs> you got to beat the man. Whether you like it or whether you don't, learn to love it because it's the best thing going today. And and that definitely applies to Pierce County. I think that with the the win, I feel like I'm quoting John Ward here, in the downpour last (laughs) – I mean, I was watching that game while we were doing bracketology on uh, GPB, and I I give anyone who was there in Bearville a boatload of credit for hanging out and watching that game. I mean, you're probably talking – hot shower the second you got home, clothes were thrown away. I mean, and I give Coach Herring and everybody all the credit in the world. I wonder how many cycles through the laundry all those jerseys went through <laughs> and if they changed at the half. But, I mean, no, I mean, if you if you look at what Pierce County has been doing, right now they would be going up, and once again we look at chalk, they'd be going up against a hot Sandy Creek team who knocked off one of the top teams in AAA in Cedar Grove for a region championship. But then in their quadrant, in their bracket, as you know, we're low right as you're filling things out in pen now. You could be facing a Monroe area team under Kevin Reach, who's done very, very well, or a tested Peach County team, who was the second team in their region. And then on the, the right hand side of, of that bracket, you're looking at probably a Rockmart or a Liberty County. To get to the last game of the year. So I think that there is a manageable path there if you're Ryan Herring. And it was good to catch up with him after he dried off a little bit too. But I think the path is manageable to at least get to the right hand, to, through the right hand side to the last game of the year, AAA.
3: John, what does the bracket look like for
5: undefeated
3: Brunswick High?
5: When you look at what we're staring at with uh, Coach Pinder, you know, I, we got to catch up with him. And it was, you know, it was really, really intriguing to see how things were going to lay out for him. We actually caught it with him in the parking lot in Springfield on his way home. It's like literally there was like that one light hanging over him. People were celebrating behind him and all this kind of stuff. But you look at Brunswick, they've got Tucker in the first round, Decula coming in, uh, Decula losing on GPB Sports to Buford. Pretty much everybody does that. It was 42-7 last week for a region championship, but their upper left. And it could get intriguing. Johns Creek and Rome in the mini bracket above Brunswick is an interesting 1-4 in 6A. And you're in that mini bracket, it's Rome, Johns Creek, and Houston County. So it would be one of those three making it through Brunswick should be able to navigate their mini bracket to get into the quarterfinals. Then you're looking at Rome, probably the winner of Rome and Johns Creek and possibly even Ryan Crawford from Hoco. But then again, on that left-hand side, you're looking at... Northside Warner Robins, you're looking at Riverwood, you're looking at Alatoona, Glen Academy as the four coming out of Region 2 is also low left, but they've got a tough test having to travel to Atlanta to take on Hughes. So manageable once again, if you're Sean Pender, I know a lot of fans are probably sitting there and, and plugging their ears and putting you know earmuffs in, but it's manageable once again to get through the left-hand side if you're Sean Pender, although I know he wants no talk of that right now. <laughs>
4: Danny Britton and, Britt and them Benedictine boys, I mean, they got Thomas County Central, you know, opening up. There was a semifinal team this year, but Thomas County Central, for I me, mean, even way back from when I used to play, well, mm-hmm. when I used to hear about them playing, uh, <laughs> way back and then I' not go and seem to be playing some real good football down now.
5: Yeah, Ashley Henderson has done a really good job over the last handful of years. They're the four seed coming in. It's an intriguing test for, for Benedictine and Holden Garner and Danny Britton, everybody. But once again, as you're filling things out, they are upper right And the quarterfinal is the interesting place in Quad A, and it's not the only place that it's interesting, meaning class, because what you could see in other seasons as championship games, you definitely could see in the quarterfinal round here. Upper right, you've got Marist and Benedictine, so a lot may apply to the coin flip. In other classes in the quarters, you're looking at Collins Hill and Lowndes. You're looking at Lee County and Buford. All of that action is low right as you're filling things out in your brackets away from home. But the quarterfinal round, Thanksgiving weekend, I would recommend that you be near your favorite device because the quarterfinal round this year, a lot of folks would sit there and say, Ben, that, yeah, these definitely could be championship games, but they're going to be two games early.
0: Yeah, going to be a lot of fun to, uh, to watch those. Uh, uh, Calvary Day in Class A uh, private uh, undefeated. Uh, Mark stroud got his team 10-0. How dangerous are they in the, uh, the Class A private bracket, which, again, has got a lot of good teams in it.
5: Interesting as their upper right also. They've got Wesleyan as a possible second-round matchup, and then their quarterfinal is up against of the possibility of a Fellowship Christian. And Fellowship Christian lost to Trinity Christian. Tim McFarlane, for those that uh, may know what's going on in and around the state, uh, has won all the titles at Blessed Trinity recently. Then he uh, left Blessed Trinity, went across the street basically to Fellowship, and he's coaching there. They lost to Trinity Christian out of the blocks this year. Practically everybody's losing to Trinity Christian by big margins this season. I think they're your favorite on the left-hand side of the bracket in single-A private. But Calvary Day... It's a bit of a tough one because of Wesley, and possibly in the second round, then your quarterfinal round sneaks up on you again, and it could be Fellowship Christian. And I think that that's you know that's another interesting one there. But when you look at the right hand side, low section, low right, it looks like it might be Prince Avenue Christian and, and FPD out of Macon. But the right hand side probably manageable. But if you're upper right, you've
3: got to get through Fellowship if you're Mark Stroud and Calvary Day. John, which bracket, which classification looks the most unpredictable at this point when you try to project out? Well, then let me ask you this. Would unpredictable mean balanced
5: because of the depth of field? Would that apply to your definition? Okay, yep, yep. I would say that AA would be one of those because you look at AA and you've got a a Harrelson County team out of Region 5, upper left, that's done really well. You've got Swainsboro, who's done very well this year as a region champ. You've got Fitzgerald, who's a two seed, and they're having to work their way that way. Do they make it through? They've got a home game against a very tough Dodge County side as one of those two threes. Then you're looking at Putnam County out of Eatonton undefeated regular season the right hand side to me they're low right as you're looking at double a first round matchup of jefferson county having to go to the pinelands to take on jeff davis winner of that one probably gets rabin county so low right you're looking at thomasville washington county rabin county jeff davis jefferson county all low right in double a then you've got bleckley county in the upper right with callaway possibly as a second round matchup there and so that one, to me, I look at AA as one of the most highly competitive slash wide open brackets that you will have coming across the board, BJ.
4: John, one thing I know about football, it's all about rhythm, it's all about structure, it's all about sticking with the routine. If mm-hmm. you're a single layer 6 say you got to play on Saturday and it's open around. How much do you think just having to play a day later could throw off the rhythm of both teams and in in obviously in both divisions?
5: Well, obviously, Ben, you're looking at my notes because my weekly column is coming out tomorrow at gpb.org in the sports section. And in catching up with some of the coaches of the first time, long times that are working their way in, that's one of the things I asked. It's like, okay, so you're playing Saturday. How does that affect you? And in catching up with them, honestly, they look at it as another day of preparation, another day of mental preparation, another day of getting things squared away. for these unknown teams that you've really only seen possibly on huddle or wherever you're getting your highlights. I think that the key coming out, if you're a single A or a 6A, isn't this week because you get that extra day to prepare. It's round two because you have one less day to prepare. And I think that it will be interesting to look at the results this week, compare them to what happens in round two. Are the scores lower because you only have one less day to prepare, or is it more wide open because you have one less day to prepare and everyone's trying to figure things out on the fly? I think that having that extra day in single A and six A will help, but I think round two will be the interesting scientific experiment to see how things lay out with those three regions.
0: And uh, John quickly did, uh, we had about a minute left. Uh, Where county? What? Uh, yeah, it's, it's going by quickly. Uh, Ware County—they're uh, in five A. What do you what do you think about the Gators? Obviously, with uh, Thomas Castellanos, a great quarterback, uh, obviously heading into the playoffs.
5: Ware County, right now, you're looking at a possible second round matchup at Veterans Memorial against Calhoun. That one could be wide open. I think the go- the golf uh, tees got pulled out of the governor's on the golf cart on that one, <laughs> and then you're looking at possibly a Clark Central on the right hand side, but then. In the upper section, you're looking at a Woodward Academy team who's done very, very well, and uh, Tim Barron at Villa Rica. So I think that it's once again manageable if you're looking at it from a Ware County perspective, but that second-round matchup could come up and bite you. But Calhoun's going to have to, as our old friend Tommy Palmer used to say, pack a lunch, a dinner, and a midnight snack to go with the hard hat to make their way from Calhoun all the way down to Waycross if chalk
0: holds. Yeah, about, about as long a ride as you could possibly get in the uh, in the state of Georgia. John Nelson, GPB Sports Playoffs, season number three. I got it Atta right. boy. Begins uh, on a Friday night. Always a pleasure, John. Thanks so much.
5: Coffee and Creekside on GPB. Love it, my friends. We'll see you soon.
0: There you go. John Nelson, always a pleasure catching up with him. We've got more to come. Ryan Davis, former Jacksonville Jaguar, will join us when we return here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Former Jacksonville Jaguars defensive end, Ryan Davis, stepping in here on 3 and Out. Ryan, good to have you on again. Thanks so much, man. How are you?
1: I'm good, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, you know, Jacksonville last week got after it defensively. I mean, nobody saw that coming. Nine to six, they beat Buffalo, one of the better offensive teams in the National Football League. How do you explain something like that when it happens, and a team that's struggling just shuts down one of the best teams in the National Football League?
1: Oh man, that's a good. Um, that's a good. That's a good time, man. We have a team that just comes out there that's been struggling all year. And then, you know, just kind of put their foot down and, you know, play a great game. Uh, I guess a very good uh, uh, Buffalo team um, to shut them out like that. And MVP candidate Josh Allen, um, you know, that's just a great win for the team. Um, So that's just something that, you know, you can build off of. So hopefully that's a good sign for things to come, you know.
3: Ryan Jacksonville's Josh Allen has a huge game, an interception, yeah. a forced fumble, a sack, a couple of TFLs. What do you see when you watch him play?
1: I see a playmaker, you know what I'm saying. Um, I really love I really love his game. Um, you know he's an intense guy, uh, good with good technique, uh, fast exercise like and everything. I really like like his game. Um, you know, and you can see. You can, I mean, you can see all the tools. So he's a guy you can definitely build around. Um, you know, I mean, I think he's not even. To me, he's not even scratching the surface of how really good he can be. You know what I'm saying? So um, the sky's living limit for him, for real. And I really like watching him play.
4: And Ryan, when you're talking about a game like on Sunday, most of the time, if you go in to watch the tape. You know, on Monday, you're like, all right, let's get through the tape. But when it's 9-6 to six and y'all know y'all shut them down, how many of those, those plays you say, all right, remember that play I told you about when I just killed the guard? It's got to be a highlight type type of watching film day for a defense. Oh, yeah.
1: That's just, those are the fun days, man, when it's a low-scoring game like that and you know you got after it. And then, uh, yeah, you just watch all the, you know, the plays, uh, you know what I'm saying, that you did good on. And that's really a defensive day, you know what I'm saying, So uh, anytime, you know, you have a game like that that's worn in the trenches and on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, you're eager to watch film the next day, you know what I'm saying? 'Cause if you play a light game. You don't you don't have to, you don't have too many of those games. And um I think like I think Buffalo only scored like uh what the last two trips to Jacksonville, they scored like nine points, something like that I've seen on Twitter. Like since like twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen that playoff game and and just
0: Sunday, it was crazy. They need to play Buffalo every week, apparently, there in, uh, in Jacksonville. But can that be a turning point for a young team? You know, Josh Allen goes off a defense kind of finding itself. And can that be a turning point for, for that team and that defense to say, look, it's not just a one-week thing where we could do this. We sh- we should and could play like this more often.
1: Exactly. This, this is definitely a game you can build off of. Uh, anytime you go out there and you play against, you know, measure yourself against a would-be contender or a playoff caliber team, um, you start to believe in yourself a little more. So as a team, you know, they can kind of, you know, you know, they're feeling that they believe they can beat anybody, you know what I'm saying, now. and Not to say they didn't believe that before, but now that it's actually happened and they've done it, got a taste of it, now they're going to be hungry, you know, uh, going forward. So this is definitely, definitely a game they can build off of, and I'm excited to see, um, you know, how this plays out. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting division. You know, Tennessee is going to be tough, but, um, you know, this is definitely an interesting uh, race. And the Jaguars had four sacks. And
3: I understand when you talk about Jacksonville, you want to talk about Trevor Lawrence and the offense. But you go back to Jacksonville's, you know, great stretch of success, defensive lines you were a part of. So much of what the Jaguars did started up front, even with some of the star players elsewhere, does success for Jacksonville still come down to that defensive line?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's going to have to. Um, that's going to be a strength of this team. Uh, anytime you can affect the quarterback, opposing team's quarterback, and affect their day, I mean, you know, you have them on their heels, secondary is going to play a little better. And then, in turn, defense plays better. You know, your offense is rested. So, you know, you give Trevor Lawrence, who's getting better, you know, seemingly every week, uh, give him a chance to go out there and, you know, um, you know ice a game for you. So, uh he the line, got to be, you know, got to be on the same page. And uh, before they continue to affect the QB and, you know, just make plays in the backfield, I think this team, this team will go as they go. So, we'll see how, how it plays out, man. I'm excited for him.
4: When you watching a guy like Josh Allen on Saturday, I mean, he was everywhere. And like BJ mentioned, TFL sacks, interception. When you when you 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 a guy that played the position, what is it like knowing that that offensive lineman in front of you can't do nothing with you? You coming to the sideline telling the coordinator they're gonna have to deal with me today, and you just you just can feel it's gonna be a long day for those guys across from you.
1: Oh man, that's an awesome feeling, man. You know, you feel like you just in the zone and you can just do anything you want and really control the man in front of you. But I mean, it's nothing better than knowing that the other guy across from you is like, he's hating that he's hating you right now. Cause he's going against you and he nothing he can do about it. Um, that's a beautiful feeling. And that's really all that hard work you did in the off season and film study and you know, just, you know, being on your P's and Q's when it's game week and, you know, studying and doing everything right. So, um, you know, when everything's clicking, you know, it just clicks, you know what I'm saying? So it, I was happy to see uh, Josh Allen really uh, had that game. Man, he was everywhere. So uh, I think he too i think he put a—you uh, know—going to put teams on notice with that game. And Ryan Trevor
4: Lawrence hurt his ankle during the game, and he he begged to come back out there on the field. Most of the time. Quarterbacks are the ones that are saying, look, man, they, they are the pretty boys. They are the poster childs. They are the faces of the franchise. But what does it do for a defense when you got a rookie saying, look, coach, man, I want to win and lose with these guys. I want to be out on the field with him." He begged and pleaded and came back out there.
1: Yeah, man, that that's to show you, I mean, his heart, man. He's already embodied, you know, the, the the city of Jacksonville. I mean, Jacksonville is a blue-collar hard-working town, and, you know, they don't quit for nothing. So, him, he felt like he can go out there, you know, if he's not, you know, you know, uh, physically injured. He felt like he can go out there and play. You know, he's probably sore now. Hey, you know, they're probably taking it easy. But um, for him to go back out there and suit up and, um, you know, get back in the game, he understood that they had a, the best chance of winning with him out there, even if he's not 100%. So, um, you know, guys rally around that. You know, you see the Q, your number one overall pick, you know, the franchise guy go out there and, you know, suck it up and just, you know, go play. You know, you want to, that's the guy you want, you can go to war with. So, um, that was huge. And then, you know, uh, him addressing the city and the stadium after the game, that was even bigger to me. You know, I'm um, having that moment and just, you know, rallying the fans and, um, you know, kind of letting everybody know it's been a rough season, but hey, stick with us. You know, we're going to, we're going to get it right. I thought that was huge. And that's a great thing to see from, you know, such a young guy. So, um, I'm excited, man. I'm
0: really excited, for Yeah. Ryan Davis, uh, former Jaguars defensive end, joining us here on uh, Three and Out. And, Ryan, just speak to playing in Jacksonville. I know they get a rap nationally about, oh, it's this and that, and they're you know a step away from going to London and this and that. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. I, but talk about just playing in that city and how bad uh, that fan base does want a winner and, and does want to see a team go out there and, uh, and, and compete for the whole thing.
1: Oh, man, they want it bad. I mean, if you think about it, you know, Jacksonville, I mean, Florida is a football state. And Jacksonville being the biggest city here and uh, such a, you know, a lot of guys, you know, go pro from this city that are born and raised here. I mean, it's a football town, you know what I'm saying? So uh, this city bleeds, you know, Jaguars. So, you know, we go out there and win. I mean, you see what happened. You see what happened in 2017, you know what I'm saying? So um, you go out there and lose, yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. You People aren't going to be happy. Fans aren't going to be happy. I mean, because they're passionate about this team, man, you know, and they see the potential. And every year it's kind of the same story, like potential, potential rebuild. But you know, we want to win. We want to see winners. So, um, you know, uh, that's just you know, that's just what it is. So, guys, understand that. So, hopefully, you know, this is a good sign, you know, for things to come. Now, you know, we can get on the right track and, you know, have a couple of uh, winning seasons in the future. You know, I'm so saying. Hopefully, they can turn it around this year. My thing is, I predict. I- I say this to my friends. I say if the Jags can win seven, to eight games this year, that's a win. That is, you can, you can definitely build on that. And that's how
0: I feel right now. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Ryan Davis, our guest here on Three and Out. Ryan, appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
1: Oh yeah, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: We'll do. Ryan Davis. Uh, always a pleasure having him here on the show. B.J. Jags get a win. I uh, did it with a uh, dominating defensive performance here against uh, against Buffalo. So some upside there in in Jacksonville, but again it takes more than a win here or there as he said you got to find uh, some momentum to, to put it together there
3: yeah you got to find a way and and Jacksonville did that defensively they were overwhelming I mean you think about some of those great defensive lines Ryan was a part of you saw the defensive front control the game like some of those groups used to so look momentum uh, you you try to have some positive uh, results week after week and I think Jacksonville got some affirmation right we can play with anybody in the league we just beat Buffalo. I think like what Ryan said, if you can get seven, eight wins, the expectations now are different for 2022. You're talking about a team that feels like they can contend. So can you, can you beat Indy this weekend? Can you have two good performances in a row? That's the big question. But that was a really big win for Jacksonville. We've got more to come here on Three and Out. Take three around
0: uh, the corner. We'll do a little Name That Team later in the show. And Tom Abraham going to join us a little bit later on the show as well, talking Georgia and Tennessee. This is Three and Out of the Southern Pickskin Radio Next Tuesday, we'll hear from Tom Abraham coming up in the final hour of the program. We'll also have a little Name That Team. I understand, Ben, you and I are going to be playing that. That's not confidence-inspiring for me. Uh, coming up into the, uh, the later hour of the show, we'll also look at Who are the best teams in college football as we await poll number two from the college football playoff committee coming up a little bit later tonight as well. Don't forget, tomorrow on the show, big show uh, as well. Clay Helton, new Georgia Southern head football coach, will join us. Josh Dobbs going to join us tomorrow. And uh, Albert Hainsworth will sit down with Ben for Troop Talk tomorrow on the program as well. So a full show lined up for you tomorrow. Also still to come on the show today. We're going to do one a week, Ben said. Until the national championship games, I'm sure.
4: uh, uh, I would say. Uh, my my my. Well, it depends. If uh, <laughs> if Georgia wins the national championship, that's gonna be my last show. But I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, we we'll probably just extend the BJ until the Super Bowl. Try to give a. A book no, I was going every week. Say, are, we,
3: are we giving away one? Because I saw you this morning. You brought in a huge box full of full of books, man. I didn't know if you were feeling generous or what.
4: Well, BJ, I mean, I am feeling generous. That's why we're giving away a book each week. That's 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 <laughs> my generosity. Knows no bound. I mean, people are like, Ben, you don't gotta do the No. Listen, I think it was great last week. I mean, shout out to my you know to the winner last week. I will keep, you know, hit, hit me up uh on Facebook. But yes, we are giving away a book. Right now. Going no, to no, 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 no. We're promoing the, the book. Well, I'm ben sorry. You, you mean, mean listen, like, 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 listen. Oh, boy. Listen, he listen, is jumping the gun. Listen, 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 All listen. All I, I said listen. was we were going to give one away, and we we're going to do
0: it in hour number two. Listen, so I, I, keep got, listening. I got
4: books like Kevin got money. I got plenty of books. Kevin got plenty of cheese. But Kevin ain't in the mood to give it away no money. Yes, yeah. He going to give it to me and BJ for Christmas. So you know.
3: That was outstanding because I'll be honest with you guys. Kevin you confused me a little bit in the break yeah. when You came in and we were going and you said, "All right, we're going to we're going to talk about the giveaway here." I'm like, "Wait, no promo." So I was kind of confused, but Ben, man, I mean that was like the read option. You just took the ball and said, "I'm taking it. I'm taking it." That was that was amazing. Well done. He did. We will give away a book in hour 2. Yeah.
0: We will give away a book in hour 2. I'm going to say we will give away a book in Hour 2, Ben Troop's book, Uncommon and Unfinished, and not until Hour 2 will we give it away <laughs> here on the show. So looking forward uh, to that. And again, Clay Helton tomorrow on the program. Really looking forward to, uh, to speaking with him as uh, he has taken over this Georgia Southern program uh, and, and will take over on the field, obviously, once this season is complete.
3: Yeah, and a lot of excitement, you know, around the potential uh, uh, of of uh, his hire, the future in Georgia Southern. You're talking about a program on the field that has BYU in a couple of weeks coming to town, Texas State on Saturday. But really interested to see what uh, Coach Helton has to say.
4: At the end of the day, BJ, you know, just like I know, everybody going to be wanting to see two things. Recruiting and this new offense, it is yet to be determined. But for one uh, press conference, Kevin, hey, man, he warned me over.
0: Well, you got to win the press conference. That's the first thing all new coaches have to do. Then you get down to the hard work of winning on the field uh, at the end of the day. We've got more to come. We're going to take three when we return. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live Coastal.com. Good to have you back. Hour 2, a lot to get to this hour. We'll look at the college football playoff poll, which is coming out tonight. What do we expect to see when that poll is released coming up a little bit later? College basketball starting tonight as well. Uh, Going to be interesting to watch that. I've released a poll around the start of the college basketball season, so I have a lot to react to there as well. And we will give away a signed copy of Ben's book, Uncommon and Unfinished, this hour on the show. So I'll let Ben give out the pro, the pro uh, the telephone number when we get to the appropriate time. <laughs> and not before that being said <laughs> let, let's take three here on three and out all right fellas take one they had the uh kind of the pre-awards they named the finalists for a lot of these uh, awards last night in major league baseball who should win the national league mvp bryce harper juan soto or fernando tatis and if you're asking why those three those are the finalists for the national league mvp bryce harper juan soto or fernando tatis
3: Yeah, and you know, Austin Riley probably could have had a place there. I think he earned that. Freddie Freeman, of course, last year. For me, I would probably go tatis. Uh, Juan Soto, when you think about the Nationals being well out of playoff contention, maybe a little confusing there if you go by the strict definition of MVP. Uh, I know Harper had a really good year, and Philly almost made the playoffs, but San Diego had a really good year just in terms of wins, losses, at least for much of the year. At the end of the season, they kind of uh, slotted a little bit. Uh, but but I think, I think you're talking about uh, – Uh, uh, Tatis being a versatile guy, can play shortstop, can play in the outfield, I think had over 40 home runs in a season where he still missed 30 games. Uh, Offensively, there aren't very many players like him, the versatility. So, for me, I know they didn't make the playoffs, but I would probably go
4: Tatis. Tatis is very, 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 very impressive, BJ, with the type of, like you said, uh, the versatility that he brings. But, BJ, I mean, I know the the guy you can't stand. I mean, Bryce Harper, I mean, look, he was – well, I think he had thirty-five homers with around like a, like a hundred RBIs. He was he was incredible, and I and I know yeah, that Bryce is yeah. always. I know that BJ. I know that Bryce. The whole notion of it is how better does he make his team? Well, he don't make it worse. I know that. So for me, I mean, obviously Tatis is incredible. Juan Soto. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm still trying to scratch my head and say, I mean. You know, I think the college football playoff committee might have something to do with his voting, too, when you're talking about the MVP. But for me, I think it is Bryce Harper. I mean, I, I think he's the guy, BJ, that is always going to be in the headlines with, with, you know, with, with what he does physically. But, yes, 35 homes 100 RBIs. I mean, uh, you know, Kevin, he was a – Kevin, I know you are – you know, Kev, Kevin's dream is one – not only did the Braves uh, re-sign uh, Freddie Freeman, we've also brought over Bryce Harper as well. But, yeah, for me, give me Bryce Harper.
0: No, look, I, I think BJ just didn't want to say Bryce Harper. That's <laughs> uh, really why he didn't say these. But no, no, no I, but it's just true. You do, you do have a uh, dislike for Bryce
3: Harper. But I will say no, no, this. No, 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 no. It's I didn't want to give him $250 million to come to the Braves like you did. Listen, I I will
0: say this, and it's going to be Bryce Harper, At least his team was in the running for for the playoffs. I know Tatis had a great season. They were 23 games out of first. And Juan Soto put up some nice numbers, but they were 28 games out of first place and finished dead last in the National League East. I do find it interesting, and for, for sake of discussion, when you talk about the MVP this year, that in both leagues, the six finalists for the MVP award, none of them made the playoffs. Not one of them. I find that fascinating. When have we? Yeah, I mean,
3: I do agree that that's kind of hard to understand. And look, Tatis and Harper, uh, the the Phillies and Padres were separated by three games. So I don't know that that the Phillies were immeasurably better than the Padres. I just think when I and and I don't see a lot of late night baseball. But Tatis, when he's up there, he, the only thing that was able to stop him was an injury or two. I mean, just absolutely comprehensive, complete. Yes. I understand Harper. He had a great year. I was looking Kevin, you know, a couple of years ago, had some strikeout problems, did not have that this year. He was fantastic. But for me, I would go Tatis, but I, but I am with you. Traditionally, when you think about the MVP, you think about players that are involved in championship contention or getting to the postseason, and especially with Soto, you don't have that in this group.
0: Yeah, I think in the American League, it was uh, Vlad Jr. They missed it by a game, but Shohei Ohtani, obviously, the Angels didn't sniff, but I mean, you understand that, but man, for most valuable player, we may have to change that definition uh, when we give this award out in the future. Uh, Moving along, take two, where would Jordan Davis rank? in your current Heisman Trophy rankings. And we bring this up in take three because we've had a couple of folks on talking about this, including uh, yesterday, Matt Merchell saying, is is there a favorite for the Heisman Trophy? Like if if there was ever a year for a wild card to win it, like a defensive lineman, this would be it because nobody has separated themselves as the clear-cut favorite or even the top two or three. So where would Jordan Davis rank in your current Heisman rankings?
3: Yeah, I think for the most part, that's fair. You know, you've seen Matt Corral. They've been really good offensively, but his numbers haven't been overwhelming. I think he only has maybe 15 or 16 touchdown passes. Kenny Pickett at Pitt. They've taken a step or two back, and he's put up big numbers, but some interceptions in some of those games, Sam Howell, you know, uh, Spencer Rattler. You have a new group of guys. I do think Bryce Young is the front runner. has still been been really good, uh, was not great on Saturday, overwhelming statistically, but has still been very good. But I think Jordan Davis is in the top five. If you want to say he's a finalist right, right now, I'm with you. This guy is massive. He's the starting point for a generational defense. I know we kind of want to wait and see what happens, but each week we get more and more data that shows us this is a defense that is is as good as any we've seen in 20, 25 years. And Jordan Davis is where it all starts. The constant double teams, the disruption, uh, he is one of the most outstanding players in college football. And that is what the Heisman Trophy is supposed to mean. Hey, doesn't mean you have to play quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Uh, I think Jordan Davis is in the conversation. He's earned that. All of Georgia's defensive stats are in the top five, almost in the key ones. It's either one or two for Georgia when you look at the defensive stats. And Davis is the catalyst. So I think he is absolutely in the conversation and I would have him in the top five.
4: I agree. I mean, he—he's definitely a top five. And and the thing about it is, is, Jordan Davis should not be penalized because, let's 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 call it what it is—the Heisman is is an offensive award, aka a quarterback award, unless you got a running back that goes over two thousand yards on a team that's possibly playing in the national championship or a college football playoff team. Jordan Davis is—I mean, he he's he is what makes everything go. That is not taking anything away from those guys around him because he makes those guys around him better. And BJ, we were talking about this earlier. Georgia is a great team because they have a great defense and a complementary offense. No, they have a once-in-a-generation once defense. And he may be – look, is he going to have the numbers of Adomagin Suu? No, but that can't be the barometer. It can't be, oh, Adomagin Suu didn't win it. Well – what is he doing for his team right here, right now? And I do think he's top five because people go, okay, how much different is the team, not not just the defense, when he's not out there? Jordan Davis gives a team confidence like Caleb Williams does for Oklahoma or Bryce Young does or Matt Corral does because you know what he brings to the table. So, yes, B.J., he is definitely top five. And, unfortunately, we are very, very biased when it comes to these, this award So he's probably not going to win it, not because he don't deserve it. But just like Kevin said, when it comes to the College Football Playoff Award, we got to get out of our mind what has happened before today. We have to live in this year, this time, right here, right now. And if we do, Jordan Davis will be in New York as a Heisman Trophy final. All right,
0: moving on, take three. College basketball starts tonight. What program do you enjoy watching each year when college basketball rolls around?
3: I mean, there is one team, Then I'm just saying that since, 2000, <sighs> since 2015, they're 77-4 at home, Florida State basketball. So I like watching Florida State, a lot of NBA guys. I think, you think about, I, I like watching uh, Villanova. Villanova, you know, normally will run three, four, five guards, you know, and play kind of that full court press. I think they're a fun team to watch. Uh, I think. I think Syracuse with that defensive zone is is a matchup that you don't see, so it's a little bit different. And they always have, you know, the guards that are 6'5, 6'6, 6'7, 6'8. And I just like watching teams try to adjust or shoot over that zone, which is very, very difficult. But i I had to give you a couple, I'll go Florida State, Syracuse, and Villanova.
4: <sighs> there's a team, um, there's a team in Atlanta. They did something last year in the ACC. I can't remember what they did in basketball. Champs. Yeah. So, so I want So we. I know we talk about all these teams in the ACC. There's a the team in Atlanta that went out there and handled business. But BJ, no. This is all about Kentucky because they're going to implode, right? And when they don't live up to expectations, it's everybody's fault but Calipari. Oh man. I mean, you know, they're too young. Kevin, didn't we didn't we realize that Kentucky, they old as hell. This year, though. They, all they did <laughs> is got a whole bunch of. You know, grad transfer. If you want to transfer and play basketball, come on over to Kentucky. No, B.J., I mean, I, I I, am always intrigued to watch the entire ACC because the SEC, even if the SEC is good, it doesn't compare to the ACC. What the SEC is in football is what the ACC is in basketball. So I like to look at the entire ACC, and, yes, I will be watching Florida State, not because I'm a Florida State enthusiast, because I know B.J. going to say, I mean, you saw what them boys, did. Let me tell you all something about B.J. Bennett and Florida State basketball. B.J., he's not arrogant, but he's very, very confident. I have to hear this every day. I say my my Florida team would have had a chance to play for the national championship, but 9-11 forced us, you know, a tragic day we had to play Tennessee at the end of the season. P.J. says, and he might be right, COVID hit right when Florida State was hitting their peak. I'm going to tell y'all something. If Florida State wins the National Championship, it might be bye-bye BJ Bennett. We may never see him or hear from him again (laughs) because his life is complete. But I will say BJ, yes. The Florida State boys, man, number one, I just want to watch Florida State because if you want to see the tallest team in college basketball, please turn on Florida State. Their point guard is 6'5". Their shooting guard is 6'7". And they got and they got some kid from you know from the Congo who gonna be 7'6", <laughs> guaranteed. So I want to watch Florida State this year, but I do want to watch them Georgia Tech boys yeah. go out there and try to defend that crown.
0: Uh, Le- Leonard Hamilton is an international
4: recruiter. <laughs> yes, 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 he is, Inter- yes. Interna- Internationally known on the microphone <laughs> is Leonard Hamilton, but the Florida State boys, BJ, hey man, maybe they, maybe they get back to their winning ways, and we don't even watch Florida Florida State of basketball anymore. That's not a competition. I don't
3: know. Hey, I like co- co- Coach Hamilton, one of the all-time greats, one of the best to ever. Do couple
0: of different teams I like to watch. Kansas is one that I always like just to keep tabs on uh, watching college basketball because they're always good. They seemingly they always play good, uh, you know, solid basketball, and they always have, as, as Ben has said, always have that big guy who uh, can, can get a little nasty in the post, and they shoot the ball uh, usually very, very well. And then the other team, I, I'm not really a fan of theirs, but it's just intriguing to watch and maybe maddening, and that's to watch Jim Bayheim, coach Syracuse because B.J. is like they're running the 2-3 zone. And it's like, what else do you coach? And we may do some variations of it. <laughs> we might play man-to-man for a possession. But we're going to 2-3 zone you to death, and you're not going to be able to beat it. And it's amazing to watch something so simple work so well uh, in college basketball that teams struggle uh, to get shots off. And, again, that's probably the lack of the mid-range jumper game. That's a whole other discussion on air, off air about uh, you know mid-range jumpers in college basketball. But it frustrates so many teams, it's fun to watch. Not when your favorite team necessarily is playing them, but it is an intriguing watch to watch Syracuse just make a lot of teams mad trying to score the basketball. So college basketball back tonight. And I I think the Champions Classic getting it started in a big way there on uh, ESPN. They'll have the college football playoff poll released in and around. Going to have the college playoff poll number two released tonight during uh, the Champions Classic uh, there as college basketball gets tipped off. We'll have that intrigue uh, there as uh, Ben and BJ, we get to the second poll this week. No intrigue at number one, not even an interesting debate. It's Georgia and everybody else, but who is number two in the poll? I don't want to give me the, the, no wishy-washyness BJ. And you actually said this for sure. It's like, like, look, nobody gets to say, well, this team, and no, you get one. Who is the second best team In college football, who should be number 2, and why should they be there?
3: All right, those are two different questions, to be fair. Who is the second-best team in college football, and who should be number 2 are different questions. I'm going to answer who is the second-best team in college football, but I'm glad you pointed that out, whether you meant to or not. To me, the second-best team in college football is Alabama, and I say that because you're talking about a team – And granted, all of this is kind of abstract, but you're talking about a team that has dominated the recruiting rankings. That's been further affirmed by the NFL draft. And you look at the players that are on the roster right now, even in a relatively down year for Alabama, they're going to have four or five first round picks at least. I think you look at a coaching staff that obviously is star-studded. You look at a roster where you probably, at the end of the day, have the Heisman Trophy winner. In Bryce Young, I mean, two All-American receivers, John Mechie, uh, Jamison Williams. Defensively, you're going to have two of the top pass rushers taken, uh, probably a top 15 corner. I think Alabama is the second best team. Now, have we seen them play up to that potential every week? No. I, I, I think your best win is probably Ole Miss. The A&M loss was very disappointing. But I answer it this way in part because that's what I think. But in part because I think this brings clarity to the overall conversation, which I want to get to. You have asked two questions. I think Alabama is the second best team in college football, and for right now, I will leave it at that.
4: Oh God! I mean, isn't that? I mean, BJ, isn't that the easy answer though? Alabama is Alabama is the second best team. I, I get, it. I get the recruiting rankings. It's what I think. It's whoa, what whoa, whoa. I think. I I'm, mean, and I'm not taking that away from you, right? I'm not taking that away from you. Okay. <clears throat> I believe Cincinnati is the second best team in college football, and this is why. Cincinnati usually, if you they knew they had to add something to give them that, you know, Kevin, what, what, you know, all sizzle no steak. where well, they wanted both, however you want to put it, they added Notre Dame, right, and they dominated them, right. UCF is a team that people watch because of what they've done of recent. Not, not hasn't been good as of late. Cincinnati, people will go, well, how good are they? This Georgia team, even though they are different. A lot of those guys played in 2020, and it came down to, it, to Georgia's kicker hitting a big field goal. Either undefeated in college football means something or it don't. Cincinnati is showing that look, man. We ha- No, most teams get a mulligan. Alabama can lose and still be, and still be awarded. We can't lose. We cannot lose. And it comes down to how they look when they win. Alabama gets credited for how they came back and avoided a loss against LSU, they, and Cincinnati does not. So I say Cincinnati's the number two is because you are trying to give me every reason why they're not based off of what all we have is our regular season, just like Alabama, just like Oklahoma, you know, just like Ohio State, just like Oregon, yet ours isn't good enough not because of how we play, because of who we are. Cincinnati ought to just tell us we ain't good enough to be the number one team in the country. Not because of how we play and how we because everybody on our schedule, we have beat. And the most important team, we beat them impressively. Like the most important team is Notre Dame. And we handled them. So we go back to it, it's like with well, Cincinnati, man. It's like, y'all, y'all are good and not great. Says who? Who who have y'all who have y'all played uh, recently in the last year and a half that we can go go back and look at, you know, the Peach Bowl. And don't give me that with well, Georgia to have some play. No, no, no. Georgia was out there, and they wanted to win that game, because Georgia knows they're fighting for reputation all the time. So for me, BJ, I hear what you're saying about Alabama. I know that Oklahoma is still undefeated, even if Spencer Rattler has taken his last snap there. I know we love Ohio State, and Kayvon Thibodeau got the last name that you can pronounce but you cannot spell. I get it. But for me, it is Cincinnati, because we are doing everything we can to deep devalue them when all they can do is control who's on their schedule and they've beaten everybody on it. Oh, look, I, I, I agree. With, I hear a lot of
0: your points uh, that are out there. Uh, one thing that kind of set me back uh, when you talk about putting them in a ranking, I'm going to put Oklahoma 2 in mind, and you can say, well, they haven't been impressive, this and that. I don't think a lot of teams outside of Georgia have truly been uh, impressive, but they've won all their games. Well, they played so-and-so close. What do we call close games? Still not losing. We call that winning, and, and that's what you're supposed to do. And, I, and Oklahoma has done that. I think it's actually a testament that Spencer Rattler, their Heisman Trophy candidate, did not play well. They made a change, and they still kept winning uh, at the end of the, uh, of the day. So I, I would have Oklahoma there at number two. Uh, BJ, I, I think Alabama is a very good team. I don't think they should be number two uh, in the rankings. I, I, again, some of it kind of sits wrong with me when you say – Okay, we're going to put the rankings in there, and then you should come out, and the, the first couple of things is look at the coaches. Look at the recruiting rankings. look at All of which should have nothing to do with how they've played on the field. I mean, it has something to do, but, I mean, it should have nothing to do with how we evaluate this team, what they were ranked last year in high school when they signed. Th- that, that shouldn't matter. I, look at how they're playing on the field uh, right now, and I think Alabama has been okay. Maybe it's, maybe it, maybe I'm falling into the trap of Alabama has set a ridiculously high standard, and, and that may be the case. But when I watch Alabama play, I don't see that same it factor that you've seen from a number of Alabama teams where it's, man, this team looks like they have weapons all over the field. This team has weapons all over the field, maybe a name and reputation, but they haven't played like that in a lot of their bigger games. Uh, And so I would move Alabama down a little bit. Not saying they're not in the playoff picture. But I would put Oklahoma number 2 for me. They've won their games. They're in a Power 5 conference, which apparently means something uh, in this thing. And they have won all of their games. Uh, The the people that have been put in front of them. I put Oklahoma
3: 2. And I think all of that that we all just said is why this is so interesting. Because to your point, Kevin, and to your point, Ben, asking me who the second best team in the country is, I'm going to give you Alabama asking me who should be number two in the college football playoff poll, I'm not going to give you Alabama. I would go Cincinnati. And I think that's why the the idea that we're debating over is so important ahead of tonight because we all get mad, right? The poll comes out and we're all going, what? I don't understand this. Well, what exactly are we doing? Because to my answer, if Alabama loses to Auburn in a couple of weeks and you ask me the day after, hey, who's the second best team in college football, I will probably still say Alabama. Why? Because when they play their A-plus game, in my mind, and maybe this is not fair, I, I can't prove it or disprove it, but when they play their A-plus game, I think they can beat anybody. And I know, Kevin, it sounds crazy, but if you ask me to explain it, I will say, well, they have the best player in the country, arguably, who's going to win the Heisman. They have the best coach in the – hold on, they have the best coach in the country who's you know as good as it gets in Nick Saban. They have the best players at the line of scrimmage in the country. They have the best depth in the country – So I think when we rank the four, quote, best teams in our mind, that's not the right thing to be ranking because a lot of that is regardless of results. Every year, especially now that the recruiting is becoming even more exaggerated in these teams' favors, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, and either one of Clemson or Oklahoma are going to be four best. That's not what we should be ranking. We should be ranking the four most deserving teams based on their resumes. And right now, number two is not Alabama. Number two should be Cincinnati. But I think this is an important distinction to make because best is, in our minds, something that is related to last year, related to recruiting rankings. Kevin, like you said, the NFL draft projections. And I think best is hard to change. Like, what would it take for Alabama, in our minds, to not be viewed as one of the four best teams. If they go eight and four, will we still say they're one of the four best? Nine and three, it can't be best. It has to be most deserving. And I think Cincinnati should be number two in this poll tonight.
4: No, the thing about it is, BJ, it's a recent thing because I, if Alabama was not as good as they were, just say Cincinnati has been this good for all this time. We're making the case for Cincinnati, but I I want to make a distinction real quick because I and I, I hated to, to make it with college and pro. BJ, you didn't watch the game on Sunday. If Buffalo-Jacksonville, if somebody just asked you, if Buffalo played, you think Buffalo going to beat the Brakes off of Jacksonville because right. of recency. But they play the game, and not only does Jacksonville win, they don't even allow Buffalo in the end zone. All I'm saying is it is a week-by-week thing. So if somebody goes, hey, Cincinnati, what have y'all done? We beat everybody on our schedule. Who have you played? Notre Dame. Alabama, what have y'all done? Oh, we've there almost everyone. Who have y'all lost to? Texas and m Texas and m is not a better loss. You know, then, then Notre Dame is a, a win for Cincinnati. I just think that what happens is we keep. I keep on saying this. People go, Alabama almost lost LSU, and what Kevin said, we expect Alabama to dominate, and we are surprised for two things: one, when Alabama looks regular, and two, when they lose. And we, because I, I be trying to tell people, look, man, if you play Alabama, you get sick of getting the brakes beat off you. That is your barometer. So everybody builds their team in the SEC to compete or hopefully beat. Alabama, what do you think they're doing at the Cincinnati's uh, uh, conference? Everybody is built to compete or be Cincinnati. They can't do it. And they went out of conference and got Notre Dame and still won. So, for me, this is about – BJ, I, I'm going to say this every time. There was a brand out there that Georgia Tech went to that you said, if your team goes to it, that's embarrassing. But it's still a brand. Cincinnati is a new brand on the scene that, listen, they got the same fabric as Alabama, but they ain't got you know, a certain brand – you know, you know, representation that Alabama does. one ga- Listen, one game, for, <coughs> excuse me, for it all, anybody can lose. I am not talking about regular season resumes. The college football playoff is for one game. You think Cincinnati can beat them? And the answer is yes. They could beat anybody because it's for one game. And people go, how do you know that? Because this team that's undefeated right now, that's number one, well, Cincinnati played them last year in a bowl game. I know the stakes are higher. So who you think who you think who you think gonna be more nervous? If Cincinnati plays Georgia and they both undefeated, Georgia has to win for reputation and when We don't want to look like Cincinnati's on our level. But what if Cincinnati beats them? Cause you do no, know. No,
3: no, 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 no. I agree. And and that's why to Kevin's point, and by the way, love Georgia Tech's, you know, current look. But going back to the to to the argument, Cincinnati, you said this, if you're a quarterback and you're six five you have to prove that you can't play. Yes. If you're if if you're 5'10, you have to prove that you can and you look at results differently and Kevin, I think, you know, much like we saw on Saturday, Alabama had to had to not come from behind but had to struggle to beat an average team. Well, so did Cincinnati and I think some of the talking points are different. I think Alabama probably should be in the top 4 based on most deserving. I don't have all the resumes out in front of me, but I feel confident they should be in the top 4. I think that when you look at best, that's something that's hard to rank because it takes a lot to change that. It takes a lot to change that, and I don't think that's necessarily reflective of the four teams who have earned the right to be there. And Kevin, I think there's a difference. I do. Well, again, we'll see what the committee
0: decides here in week number two when the uh, the playoff poll comes out. I know a lot of folks are saying, man, I want this thing to get uh, expanded uh, out to, to eight, maybe 12 uh, that they've talked about, but Will that lead to better football more interest? We'll talk about that when we come back here, 3 and Out. Good to have you here, 3 and Out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Again, we'll get the playoff poll tonight, uh, week number two of that. A lot of folks looking ahead uh, to a expanded playoff, 12 teams. Uh, is what's been talked about, maybe eight, but uh, 12 has been talked about the most. Uh, B.J. and Bennett, we've talked to a number of folks that kind of put on a little bit of a back burner while all these conferences are sorting it out and, and switching around, moving around, and uh, finishing off their expansion. But people will look at this year, uh, BJ and Bennett, say, we don't need to expand. Look at the field this year. It's Georgia, and then you tell me who the next three teams uh, should be in there. Where We haven't really seen anybody else kind of step up and really grab hold of I mean, we were debating Alabama uh, there at two as to whether or not they've kind of played potentially to that level, and there's at least a debate between them and, and Oklahoma and Ohio State and some others as to how they could fit in there, would an 8- or 12-team playoff actually give us better football?
3: Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I think you've seen the models, and they change week to week or based on the you know the uh, formula you have for, for getting into the tournament. But I think if you have an 8-team or a 12-team college football playoff, there might be some years where you have some first-round matchups that aren't compelling. Where you have some lopsided victories, although that would be nothing new. I mean, semifinal matchups in the in the current model uh, often are, are are blowouts. But but I think that's kind of missing the point. The goal is not to have the most competitive games uh, possible. That that's not the goal. The goal is to determine a national champion from a uh, a a classification, the FBS, that has what 130 teams. The goal is to determine a national champion and i know some people have you know posted on twitter oh well if you you know had a 12 team playoff this year maybe you'd have and i'm just throwing out you know maybe you'd have oklahoma state and wake forest or maybe you'd have mississippi state with three losses or that that's that's kind of missing why we're talking about expansion i think the idea of expansion if you need to sum it up in one sentence is that cincinnati can be the top 10 team win all their games and not get in and if that's the case why are you in the FBS? If there's not, a, if there's not even a hypothetical chance that you could do everything in your power, including beating a top 10 team on the road, and you still don't get in, then the playoff format is not representative of the body it serves. And you need to have access for every single team in the FBS to at least have a chance to make it into the tournament. And right now, I mean, Kevin, you said this for years and it's, and it's, and it's pretty, uh you know, pretty poignant. You have four playoff spots and five power five conferences. So, so how does that work? And then you're not even talking about a situation where a team finishes in the, you know, top two or three, but they're second in their conference or a program like UCF or Cincinnati. So I think you've got to have a, a playoff format that's expanded. And look, this has been great. It's been good for college football. The playoff has been a, a new thing, a step in the right direction but I think you've got to continue to have more slots and more teams involved so that the FBS is accurately represented. And and right now it's not. And that's why we get into these hypotheticals, because we're having to take probably 10, 12, 14 teams that have viable resumes some years, sometimes it's less than that, and go with four slots. And I think the idea isn't necessarily that you would have great game after great game. There might be some Downsides. Maybe the regular season doesn't carry quite as much of a consequence if you expand the playoff. But you've got to give teams an access point, an entry point into the playoff. And I do think it'd be great to see new teams. It'd be great to see new matchups. It'd be great to see new storylines. And I do think you'd have better games than people think. But I don't think the point necessarily is, do we have better college football? The point is, does everybody have a chance to play for a national title? And, and right now, the answer is no.
4: So for me it is, I think it would make it better. Because for everything you just said, BJ, and sometimes I look at the college football playoff different. People go, hey, man, uh, this team was the best team in college football this year. No, this team had an opportunity to be because they were one of the four teams. Sometimes that's all it really is, man. It's just an opportunity to to say, you know, how do we stack up? College football is not as as different as we give it credit for. The top teams in the country don't all have the top uh, recruiting classes, not all of them. Cincinnati is not tops in recruiting, but look at what their team does. And it's something Kevin says. We can't base it on and obviously undefeated ain't even enough no more. Now, in 2019 when LSU went undefeated, oh my god. You know what their hardest game was that year? Auburn. They beat Auburn 27-24. All I'm saying is BJ and Kevin is this. My junior year, the only t- the only team that lost the only t- the, the national champion that year. No, no, I'm sorry. The natural champion my senior year was LSU. They lost one game. They lost to us. Were we better than them? Nope. But if you put us, but for one game, we were. That's what the college football playoffs is for one game. If you are better than me, you shouldn't matter if I get in. If you're better than me, you should want to play me because you're going to beat me. But that's why you don't want me to get in. Because think about it. We live in a part of the country where SEC, AC football reigns supreme. We don't watch Cincinnati that much. But if we're in the part of the country that they do, hey, dude, what are they seeing that we're not seeing? We don't watch Michigan State that much. We don't watch Oregon that much or Ohio State. Great football is played throughout the country, but we focus on one part of the country. So how good is Texas A&M? They're good enough to beat Alabama for one day, but they are bad enough to lose to Arkansas and Ole Miss. So what I'm saying is I think better – I mean, I think more teams is better because it's more of a representation of college football, not just a certain region or certain conferences. Because I'm telling you, if I'm an AD in the Pac-12, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Like we got Oregon this year and we – you know, and they beat obviously Ohio State. But I think, I think variety is better. As a person that played in college football, look, I knew about guys all over the country because they played big-time football all over. Yes, Georgia is the easy number one this year. But what if, Georgia, what if Georgia lost to Clemson and Clemson's undefeated? We talk about Clemson being that team, you know, who's not Wake Forest. What does Wake Forest doing that Clemson didn't do? They ain't undefeated. They're in the same ACC. It is, it, is, it, is, it, is a, it is a bias that we all have, even the college football playoff committee. If I'm not good enough, you should want to play me. That's what I don't get. But that's the problem. Number eight will find a way to beat number one, not because number one ain't better than number eight. They just lost to number eight that day. We're talking about one game. For one game, anything can happen. One game, but if I know I get to play next week and I, and I get to press in my conference, all that stuff goes into it. So I think B.J., <coughs> excuse me, going to eight or 12, because number one, that gives, what, 11 other teams a chance to go to bowl games that probably wouldn't have got in because of those teams, not so we know bowl games don't matter. Good God. I mean, they get rid of them. It seems like they add them every single year. Give these, because the hardest thing to do in college is to win six games consistently. The hardest thing to ever do is be Cincinnati and UCF. That's the hardest thing. Because they are in college football, they under the NCAA, but not, but not when it comes to their teams mattering. So if we care about college football, you want to go more variety. It's like a restaurant. Sometimes you go to a restaurant because you heard of a great dish, and sometimes you go because they got a lot of choices. If I went to a restaurant and they only had four, I'm not going. Yeah, I got four choices? Yeah, they good, though. Okay, how good are you? you got ain't got four. That's it. I'm just saying, it's go to eight and then go to 12 and see what happens. But once, but once again, once again, if number eight shouldn't be on the same field as number one, then number one should move on. But if number one gets beat, that means that number one had the best regular season to be number one, and number eight had the best, eighth best season to be number eight. You put them on the same field, number one can go down. So, I, I mean, I, I, that's not going to happen, Kevin, because this is what we're really saying about the college football playoff. What do we see that they don't? You know what it's called? Football. They do not look at it throughout the country. I guarantee – they watch certain games and go home. They well, don't watch everybody.
0: I mean, if we're talking about expanding it, I think that's that's good. I, I and, and, and I think it's it was going to happen. Uh, BJ, as I've said, from the moment it was put in, you have four spots and you have five conferences that you designated as, quote, power five conferences. So at the very least, that, that math doesn't work. You have Notre Dame uh, in there. That math doesn't work. When Notre Dame makes the college football playoff, that math doesn't work. So, I think expanding is good. And somehow, I, and again, I, I still struggle to look at, at folks and say, well, it just diminishes the regular season. Why? Because more teams have an opportunity uh, to stay relevant, to have interest, uh, to do that. Well, every game matters. Well, okay, I guess I could buy that. Every game matters for the first week of the season, I guess. Uh, after that, it matters a little less for every other team who's like, well, we got one loss the dream is dead. Uh, so I, I I just look at it and, and expanded playoff to me is a good thing. And as been said, if you are worried about getting upset, why go win on the field? That's why. Again, my argument has always been: if you put conference champions in there and you say, well, well what if <coughs> what if a six and six team upsets the first place team and they win the conference? Uh, did they go out and do it on the field? And if you're worried about that six and six team, what's your problem? Right? I mean, again, we get caught up in conference strength and our conference is the best and this and that and what have you. Let's let that play out on the field and and, and see what happens. I I, I don't see the uh, the issue with it, with going to 12. And, again, I think you will get better football. The fact that more teams believe they have a chance. Again, what what do people talk about when it comes to professional sports? And I know you can say it's not professional. It's getting close. But when you talk about professional sports, what do all these leagues talk about? We want as many teams to believe they have a chance for as long as humanly possible. Why is that? Because more teams will try. More teams will put effort into making their team better. More teams will believe they have a chance at the ultimate goal, whether they do or they don't. When you look at where college football is right now, we've basically said either Clemson wins the ACC or they're done either oklahoma wins the big 12 or they're probably done ohio state or michigan wins the big 10 or they're probably done that that's how we view the playoffs right now there's five or six teams that either they're in there or they lose and we discount an entire conference because of it i don't i don't, I don't think that's that's right you want more teams to believe they can win a national championship bj how many teams right now believe they can win a national championship week 1 How many teams believe in their heart of hearts they can win a national championship if they play well? I think it's probably getting close to single digits who actually believe they can get in. Seven or eight,
3: seven or eight maybe. get in.
0: So we're saying we believe seven teams having a chance is better for the sport, and probably the same seven teams, is better for the sport than expanding that just a little bit out of the 130 teams that play college football. I, I don't see where that's a bad thing. We'll come back. We got it to have you back here, three and out of the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin B.J. and Ben, we will play Name That Team coming up top of next hour. Looking forward to that. But, Ben, we've got another signed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished we're going to give away here on the show.
4: Yes. Oh, man. Uh, it was beautiful last week. Listen, the fourth caller will get a copy of my new book. Here it is right here. You can look at it on the stream right there, Uncommon and Unfinished. The Band Troop story with B.J. Bennett. Just the fourth caller calling at 912-342-7184. 912-342-7184. The fourth caller will get a signed copy of not just from me, but from B.J. Bennett as well. <laughs> Uncomed and unfinished. The Band Troop story with B.J. Bennett. You know, everybody has a story. This is mine. I appreciate you guys and all the love and support that I've gotten from this book. B.J. appreciates it as well with the great feedback. But, yes. The fourth caller to call in will get a signed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, The Ben True Store with BJ Bennett. The number to call in is 912-342-7184. Yep. 912-342-7184.
0: A great book, a great uh, great story. 912-342-7184. We'll take caller number four. Uh to, uh, to get that copy of the book, 912-342-7184. And uh, we'll look forward to, uh, to giving away a copy. We're going to do one each week on the show leading up to the Super Bowl. So uh, looking forward to that uh, coming up, 912-342-7184. And uh, caller number four will get a copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story with B.J. Bennett. So caller number four right now. We'll give away that book. If you don't win this week, keep your head up. We'll do one again uh, next week here on the show. We've got more to get to here on 3 and Out. We'll play a little Name That Team, Ben, so we we'll get our thinking caps on. You and I are going to go head-to-head in uh, in a battle that could end poorly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that when we come back here on Tom Abraham. We'll join us final hour of the show as well. 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. 3 and Out. A lot to get to here in the final hour of the program. Tom Abraham will join us, 97.7 The Zone, Tennessee Valley. We're talking Tennessee and Georgia with him. as a big game this weekend there in the SEC East. If you missed it earlier in the show, we chatted with David Green. We'll have a chance to hear that again here in the final hour of the program. But first, a little game we like to call Name That Team. Usually doesn't go well. BJ the Mastermind. I feel like when BJ and or Christian opt out of this game, then – They like to throw a lot of trick questions in there to stumble us up. But it's me versus Ben. (laughs) Name that team. I will let BJ explain the game for those uninitiated.
3: It's pretty straightforward, but here we go. Well, the idea is to name the team, right? (laughs) So so, so I'm going to give you a player. Now, each of these players are ranked in the top ten in college football in a major statistical category. So as we go through this, we'll have – Passing, rushing, receiving, tackles. I will give you a player. You have to give me the school the player plays for, and obviously, first one to answer gets it right, uh, or first one who who answers and gets it right gets the point. If you answer wrong, the other person can take a deep breath and say, "I want to think about it for a minute." So let's start with passing. Each of these players are in the top ten in the country in passing yards. I'm going to give you a player. You give me the team the player plays for. Brennan Armstrong.
0: Uh, Kevin, Virginia.
3: That is correct. Off to a good start. Brendan Armstrong, second nationally in passing yards. So, Kevin up. one. I'm going to have to actually keep score here, which I normally don't have to do maybe. So, one nothing. Kevin. Will Rogers.
4: Ben, Mississippi State. Yes, I saw a little hesitation. I'm like, hold, 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 don't blow this one. <laughs> don't blow this one.
3: <laughs> but this is getting off to a good start. One-one. All right. Each of these players ranking the top ten in their respective category. Uh, Will Rogers third in the country in passing. Tanner Mordecai. Is that a real? Is that a real quarterback? Very much so. Yes.
4: Man, I'm, I mean, I got to ask you how long it took you. Where, to what is he his rank name?
3: in passing? Just uh, I feel like I'm at the. Does strategy. that help? So, so if I say eighth or ninth, that makes a difference for you. Yeah, kind he of. I'm, seventh.
0: He's seventh. All right.
4: Mordecai, oh man!
0: Uh, BYU. No, Ben. <laughs> uh did you just look it up? The no, cam just no, Google no. it. Go
4: ahead. All right, let Ben guess. Uh, Tanner Mordecai. Uh, Hawaii.
3: SMU, the correct oh. answer. Yeah. Tanner Mordecai, seventh in the nation in passing out of SMU. All right, move along to rushing. Each of these backs are in the top ten in the country in rushing I give you the player you have to tell me where they play second nationally in rushing Sean Tucker
4: second nationally in rushing that's that's Sean Tucker uh, uh
3: he is a freshman if that helps
4: no
0: that doesn't uh happen. navy
3: nope come on Ben air force uh, okay. The correct answer is Syracuse. Sean <laughs> Tucker plays for Syracuse in the ACC. Oh, All okay. right. This player's sixth nationally in rushing, Sincere McCormick.
4: Sincere. Wow. His name is Sincere. Wow.
3: Been one of the best players in the country. His team's been fantastic this year.
4: His team is? <sighs> UT
0: San Antonio.
3: Yes, and I kind of feel like I led you down that path. Yes. <laughs> Should we give them a half a point or a full
4: point? I wouldn't have got UT San Antonio if you would have gave me every college Well, he, 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 said, he said this team has
0: been fantastic, so I'm like, it's, it's got to be UT. They're, they're still undefeated. They're not going to the playoff either, but they're still undefeated. So that was like that the Roadrunners.
4: That is incredible. That is
3: correct. Well done, Kevin. Kevin with a 2-1 lead. named that team. All right, this running back, tenth in the country in rushing yards, Tyler Batty. And I just was reading a story
0: about him, and now I'm drawing a blank. Tyler. This is typically how it goes in, uh, in in these games where I have to be really put on the spot. Uh, uh, Tyler Batty is um that's uh, that's Mizzou, right?
3: Yes, just played Georgia. Yes. Well done, Kevin. Thank Kevin you. Kevin with a 3-1 lead. Is, see, yep. this is why I
0: don't do good in these games, because it takes me like 10 or 15 seconds to get to it, and by that point, I usually lose the answer, so.
3: Yes, for Missouri, Tyler Batty. All right, receiving each of these players in the top 10 in the country in receiving this player is third, Drake London.
4: He's third. Drake London. Oklahoma.
3: No, good guess, but no. I feel like this is a trick question. Wake Forest. I like the fact that you were anticipating some sort of trick, but it's straightforward. Southern Cal. Drake London plays for Southern Cal. All right, Kevin up 3-1, to I believe. Name that team. This player ranks fifth nationally. We've talked about him on the show a good bit. Jalen Tolbert.
4: Talked about J- Jalen Tolbert. That just sounds.
3: Fifth nationally in receiving. Yes, we have talked about him on this very show.
4: Hold on. Coastal Carolina.
3: No, I appreciate that effort. <laughs> but no.
4: It better not be like an LSU or something. I'm going to lose it.
0: Uh, my gut—I'm just gonna go with what everything inside me is telling me to say. Kentucky. I don't believe that's right, but Kentucky. Correct
3: answer. He is in the Sun Belt bin. South Alabama. South Alabama. Oh my goodness, they, Colbert, and they me right, with 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 Jake Bentley out at South yeah, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This this player is sixth nationally in receiving. Josh Downs. What oh, he's.
4: Sixth. Dude. Uh Pitt.
0: Kevin? So so Ben was incorrect. I'm guessing you didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. Yes, him
3: being incorrect, that is correct. The fact that he was
0: incorrect. <laughs> you didn't say anything, so I was like, Are we building drama here?
3: Well, I figured you knew the answer and you were just waiting to deliver the of, answer. Of
0: course. Um Ohio State.
3: Josh Downs plays at North Carolina. Yes, he does. He's done, done a good job with the ACC uh, here on name that team. All right, we move forward to sacks. We move forward to sacks. These players all rank in the top 10 nationally in sacks. This defender is second in the country in sacks. Will Anderson. Alabama. Yes.
0: Yep. Yes. I was just reading we, about him before the show, uh article about him as well. So.
3: I had to actually write a point down, which was surprising. Three to two. <laughs> I'm sorry, why is the host <laughs> talking smack to us? Right. That's crazy. This player, this player is tied with Will Anderson for second in the country in sacks, Sam Williams.
4: Sam Williams sounds like a- Oklahoma. No. <laughs> Sam Williams. Uh, Texas.
3: The correct answer, Ole Miss, Ole Miss. in Miss. Oh, SEC, man. SEC, SEC. Although you guys were, I guess, kind of on the right track as those schools will be in the SEC. All right, this player seventh nationally in sacks, Isaiah Foskey.
4: Yeah, man. Like, like Cam's a big, over
0: here giving us clues, saying that sounds like a Big Ten name. Uh,
3: Pitt. Iowa. Correct answer is Notre Dame. I thought, look, man, I thought you guys would be. On the, I, have, I have to throw in a couple of non-ACC, SEC schools. I thought you guys would. I thought you guys would have got that one. All right, tackles. These players in the top ten in the country in tackles. Uh, this guy is second in the country, Damone Clark.
4: Who I mean,
0: play, who plays defense a lot? <laughs> Michigan State. Virginia oh. Tech.
3: LSU. 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 Wow. Yep, one of the nation's leading tacklers for LSU. Uh, this guy's sixth in the country in tackles. Carlton Martial.
4: What's his last name? Martial.
3: Carlton Martial.
4: LSU? I mean, you got one of them. Man.
3: Kevin.
0: Uh, All right, Cam's saying Wisconsin in my ear. I guess I'll go with that. He threw me off track. Is that right?
3: Ben, we have seen this guy play in person. Troy, the Troy Trojan. I was going to say so Troy. This back. is so
0: – this is nuts. I was honestly – I mean, th- th- you're not going to well, believe they, me now after oh, the that's fact. Right, that's the but one one I'm that's sitting one. here saying, BJ's going sunbelt. It's probably like Troy, and I'm going to say – and then, then Cam goes, Wisconsin. It's Wisconsin. <laughs> it's Wisconsin. I'm, and I'm like – then then my brain just got skewed, and then –
3: <laughs> All right, this guy eighth in the country in tackles, Quez Jackson. Quez
0: Jackson is um uh, Georgia Tech.
3: That is correct. So we finally, we finally have some success defensively. Kevin, you're at four. Ben, you are at two. And I have kickers left. Do we want to settle it with the kickers? That's the only way it to go. settle. Come
4: on, that's the come on. That's let's the go. only
3: way to settle it. All right, these guys are in the top ten in the country and field goals made. Seth Small. Uh, It's a Texas A&M. Yes. Went viral for the kick over Alabama. Well done. Had the video of, I believe, his family cheering and getting emotional. So you got that one. I was trying to walk it out in
0: my brain to make sure I had it. I was
3: like, yes. I believe you clinched with the kicker answer, but we have a couple of more here. Gabe Burkich, Gabe Burkich, sixth in the country in field goals made. He sounds like a kicker.
4: Gabe Gabe Burk Burkich, Utah the State. In
3: the country, yes.
0: <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, come on. Man. I'm guessing Utah State was wrong.
3: Oh, I didn't even hear that. Yeah, that's wrong. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. Vince said Utah State. Um. Uh, uh, Michigan State.
3: Correct answer. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. And finally, this doesn't change the result. Ben, sorry you lost. Kevin, you won. This guy is one of my favorite players in the country. Nick Skiba,
4: eighth Uh,
3: in field goals made.
4: Oh, man. Maryland? No. (laughs) Big Skiba? Nick Skiba. Nick Skiba? Yes, and I believe
3: Nick Skiba has the all-time field goal percentage record for the history of college football.
4: Oh, so he's a young Adam Vinatieri. Okay. I keep thinking,
0: oh, this is, I keep thinking of uh, Syracuse, but that's Schismit or whatever is the. um, No, it is. BJ, what's the kicker at Syracuse? That's not my answer. Andre
3: Schmidt, yes, it's Syracuse, yes.
0: Nick Skiba. Uh,
3: The drama. Michigan State. The correct answer, every player on this list did not play for Michigan State, contrary to the guesses. The correct answer, Wake Forest, Wake one for of the it. best kickers in college football history. We failed the ACC. We did not do a good job. Well, the, the ACC, ACC is
0: failing the ACC, if we're being well, totally honest. That's
3: true. Well put. Thank that, you, guys.
0: Kevin wins. I win. I will wear my crown proudly. That's said, that's, uh, name that team. I finally got one. <laughs> we'll come back. We've got more to get to here on uh, 3 and Out. We're talking Georgia. We're talking Tennessee, and we're going to do so with Tom Abraham of 97.7 The Zone of Tennessee Valley. He'll join us next here on 3 and Out.
1: This is Greg Blue, former All American at the University of Georgia. This is Three and Out with BJ Ben and Kevin.
0: We can to have you back here, Three and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. we got Georgia and Florida coming up. Or Georgia, Florida. Excuse me, Georgia and Tennessee coming up this weekend. Uh, the final SEC game in the regular season for Georgia coming up this weekend. Tennessee really coming on uh, late in the season under Josh Heupel. Joining us here talk about this game and more from 97.7 The Zone of Tennessee Valley. The host of the Tom Abraham Show. Tom Abraham joins us here on 3 and Out. Tom, welcome. How are you?
6: I am fantastic, guys. How you all doing over there on the coast?
0: Hey, we are doing fantastic. And speak to the development of this Tennessee team. I know way back SEC media days, going into the season, everybody's going, man, Tennessee lost a bunch. Transfer portal was brutal to them. What is Josh Heupel going to do? And brand new system, up-tempo, fast-paced. It could be rough there in Tennessee. And it seems like you can physically point to a lot of cases where they have really gotten a lot better uh, from week one to now. Well, one
6: of the things they got better at was picking the right quarterback. I mean, Hendon Hooker, the transfer from Virginia Tech, was not in there the first four or five uh, weeks. They were using Joe Milton, the kid from Michigan. Uh, that guy, um, you know, I, I mean, it was, it, was, it was terrible. I mean, I had made a joke that I guess didn't go over too well on Twitter that they should have sent him to Afghanistan because he could overthrow the Taliban. I mean, <laughs> this guy was just, he, he couldn't hit anything down the field at all. Booker came in due to an injury, really, to Milton and, and, and really you know, showed that he had the leadership ability and had the, the uh, ability to both do some things with his legs as well as with his arms. So that was a big part of it. Tennessee getting used to the system is a big part of it. And who they've been playing is, is kind of a big part of it. I think Kentucky was a bit of a fraud, a good football team, but they were no top ten type football team when they played Georgia. And now they've lost three in a row, so I'm not sold on that. Um, this is why, though, this game is so intriguing this week because now we've got this monster defense that we haven't seen in decades, really, in, in, at Georgia, um, something very foreign to college football these days, uh, going up against this offense that is dynamic. And let's see if Tennessee has the ability to score in the 20s. I mean, nobody scores more than one touchdown against Georgia normally. So can they do something? And I think that's what makes this a fascinating matchup.
3: And Tom, Hooker ranks in the top five, I believe, in college football in passer rating. What has impressed you the most about him?
6: Uh, I think his ability, first of all, his leadership ability. You know, he's a, he's a little bit of an older guy, and I think that the team has rallied really well around him. But I think on the um, most of the underneath stuff, the the slants, the inside stuff, he is very, very um, consistent and accurate with. We know that accuracy is something that's very, very important for a, for a quarterback. He... Also struggles a little bit with the deep ball, but nowhere near to the point where Milton did. But he's got great energy. He's just one of those guys. He's got that it thing, you know, that you, you see in certain players. Um, and the team has kind of rallied around him. He doesn't stand around in the pocket and get hammered. He'll get out of there uh, when he needs to get out of there and do and make some plays with his legs as well. He's a big old guy. I mean, he's like, it's like having Ben Troop back there, at quarterback. He's like a tight end, you know, in there, a quarterback.
4: Tom, Tennessee Tennessee Vols the brand versus Tennessee Vols, the football team. Usually one is doing doing better than the other. How is the brand of the Tennessee Vols going on right now? Because obviously when you think about the state of Tennessee, you know, I remember when the Vols just ran it and obviously they haven't been at good as of late. How was the brand of Tennessee kind of catching up with the with the brand of football on the field?
6: Man, let me tell you something, Ben. That brand is a long way to go. There are kids. That are, that are seniors in high school now that are being recruited that have no idea that Tennessee ever played for a, uh, you know, an SEC championship, you know, that that were in kindergarten the last time Tennessee meant anything. And you know how it is. It's like, what have you done in the last couple of years? These kids now in the state of Tennessee, they look at Tennessee as, you know, they, they don't really sense the brand. They don't get the Peyton Manning thing. They don't get – you know, winning a national championship with T. Martin and, and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's been ten years that I see that. No, ten or ten years. Ten years since they beat a top ten team. I mean, it's just they're just the brand is shot in, in my opinion. The brand is just pretty much shot. They're basically like everybody else trying to build a program. You go through five coaches in the number of years that they have gone through five coaches. There's nothing. You know, you remember back when Urban Meyer said it. You know about the rivalry between Florida and Tennessee. You know how is it a rivalry if the other team never wins? That's kind of where they're at right now. Let's just be honest. I mean, they're they're a long way, you know, from being the brand that Tennessee football was.
0: And again, they've got Georgia this week—a tough task. A, a team that hasn't given up hardly anything all season long. Uh, how does Tennessee style? help them, hurt them when they're playing a team like Georgia this week where obviously Josh Heupel wants to go fast?
6: If he can go fast, if they can get through the first three plays of one of these series without having those beasts that play inside and in the interior of the Georgia defense destroying the interior of the offensive line, the Cade Mates kids, the center, they're, they're, they don't know whether or not he's going to be able to go or not. They do not. They're not very deep. Um, if they can survive, Tennessee now, if they can survive three, four plays, the question will be how will those big guys on that defensive line for Georgia hold up to running a play every 14 seconds, every 13 seconds. You've got to try and figure out a way to gas those guys and get them off the field, have them going out for a break, have them sucking wind a little bit. That's going to be the key. The problem is, is that Georgia will wreck you in the first three or four plays and you never get to that point. But if Tennessee can get a couple of first downs, they might be able to uh, you know, uh, start getting a sustained drive together a little bit. Can they hit a play or two? That's going to be the issue. But the bigger thing is going to be we have never seen Stetson Bennett, who I think delivered my paper this morning. I'm not sure. I don't have it gets shaved yet. And certainly JT Daniels. We haven't seen these guys in a position where they have to score with somebody. They score because they can score. And they're and they're you know they're big and they're strong and they run the ball really well, but what if Tennessee gets out in front a little bit, and what if you know floor or uh, Georgia has to score a little bit and, and and play from behind? What if they get down eight or ten points, and those guys can those quarterbacks bring them back? I'm a big been Bennett fan. Um, I also think that J T Daniels is a lightweight between you and I, you know, and you guys. Um, I've never been a fan of his. And I don't know what this latest injury is that's kept them off the field for so many weeks. I think it's, you know, they're winning with Seth and Bennett, and that's, that's what they're doing. But the question is, will Georgia's offense be able to do something if they have to? I don't know if they're going to have to. They might not have to until Atlanta. I don't know. But uh, that, that's the only shot Tennessee has to even hang around.
3: Well, I was going to ask, Tom, I mean, is there a sense amongst the fans, amongst Tennessee fans, that this is a winnable game on Saturday?
6: No. No, no, no. there's no sense that this is a winnable game. There are three-touchdown dogs. There is a sense that Tennessee can hang. I think that's, that's where we're at with Tennessee football right now is can they hang. And there is a sense that they can be in the fourth quarter, be within ten points, you know, show, their, you know, show some kind of respectability to the country on a CBS game you know, that's going to be nationally televised like that. So that, that's the hope. The Tennessee hope is that we're not going to get blown out of the building we're going to show them we can hang like we hung with Alabama you know, until eventually until Alabama blew them out. But that's the mindset is can we show that we can hang with the two top teams in the country, the two top teams in the SEC? Can we be in this thing late? So I think that's the whole hope. The, the idea of upsetting Georgia or the University of Tennessee, that, that's, I don't think anybody that I talk to, and I have two of my producers are Tennessee fans, none of them believe that that's going to happen.
4: Vanderbilt, Austin P, Memphis, a lot a lot of other college teams in the, in the state of Tennessee that don't really think that the Tennessee Vols are what they used to be. What can it do, uh, Tom, for the brand of Tennessee if they can go out there and even look respectable against them dogs on Saturday? Oh, I, I think
6: they can get that back because still all throughout middle Tennessee, even if you're, you know, uh, in Burfreesboro, you, you walk around MTSU and see kids wearing Tennessee hats. So Tennessee in Vanderbilt, forget about it. I mean... There was a moment there. There was a moment when James Franklin was there, and they were winning every other year against the Vols. And even Derek Mason, the only thing he could do was beat the Vols every once in a while. And I think it said more about the Vols than it did about about uh, Vandy. But Vandy doesn't have fans. Uh, MTSU really doesn't have fans. Memphis is okay, but they're uh, like three states over in the, that part of the state, so nobody really thinks about them as much. Um, you know, so Tennessee really. They grab the attention just with some – look, they win seven games. They're throwing them a parade. So if they can get to that point where they can be seven, maybe threaten eight games this year, um, and then, you know, next year to come back with the hope of being a nine-win type team and beat one of these marquee teams, then, uh, you know, then I think that that Tennessee can be back. You know, I think that that would be a big part of it. But, look, we know that the Gators are a grease fire and Tennessee couldn't handle them. So, you know, where where, where are they really at right now?
0: Tom Abraham, host of the Tom Abraham Show, ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Tennessee Valley. Our guest here on 3 and Out. Tom, appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
6: All right, guys. Have a great weekend.
0: Will do. Tom Abraham joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back with more on this Tuesday afternoon. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com. Big night tonight. You get round number two of the college football playoff poll. And college basketball back tonight. I know Georgia, Georgia Tech, Georgia Southern, I believe all in action uh, tonight, BJ, around the state. So, college basketball back, and we get the latest poll for college football.
3: Yeah, yeah, have a college basketball back, which is great. I think you'll have Duke and uh, Kentucky later tonight. But the question is, are you already mad? Are you already
4: just ready? What's happening with Cincinnati? What about Oklahoma? I mean, I mean, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes, I'm already looking forward to be disappointed and I have nothing to do. My listen, my team ain't finna snip no college football playoff. It wouldn't matter if they <laughs> had 25 teams in it. But BJ, this is what listen, this is what we're supposed to do. If we really love college football like we like we say we do, we are supposed to speak up for those who whose voice have been pushed down or their team has been overlooked. So yes, Cincinnati get ready to be disappointed again because you can go out there and handle business and not get rewarded for it. Looking forward to watching this college football playoff committee. Get on my nerves once again, Kevin, because they they don't tell us how they vote. They just show us who they voted for, and they go back to their houses.
0: Yeah, and again, I, I think the big things to watch for me, BJ, uh, how do they treat Michigan State in a loss? How do they treat Alabama and Cincinnati in less than stellar performances, but they still won the football game? To me, those three teams most intriguing to watch here coming up tonight.
3: Does Bama stay at two after having to bat down a pass to beat LSU? We'll have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, I, and that will come up later tonight. College basketball back uh, tonight as well. And I just mentioned the final season of Coach K's tenure at Duke. They got Kentucky tonight as part of that Champions Classic. Should be an awful lot of fun there as well. We'll see tomorrow reaction to all of that. Coming up tomorrow on 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com.